When you're smiling. 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 The tests I gave him showed no sense at all. His eyes react to light the dials detected. He hears but cannot answer to your call. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Years ago, we had the church. That was only a way of saying we had each other. Can I ask you something? You're all church-going folk. I really want to ask you something. Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created woman? Huh? No shit. I really want to know. Or do you think it was just another one of his minor mistakes, like tidal waves, earthquakes, floods? You want an extra $50 a week? Try vacuuming. You want an extra 100 Make this goddamn bed. Try opening some goddamn windows. That's why you can't stand up in here. The goddamn place smells like a coffin. What's the matter? You don't think God makes mistakes? Of course he does. We all make mistakes. We make mistakes, they call it evil. When God makes mistakes, they call it nature. <laughs> so what do you think? Women, a mistake? Or did he do it to us on purpose? Because I really want to know. Because if it's a mistake, maybe we could do something about it. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me, and it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. We're gonna make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. You believe that, don't you, Danny? That I'm here to help you in any way I can? Of course. Corporal will take you by personnel on your way out to the flight line, and you can have all the transfer orders that you want. You have to ask me nicely. I beg your pardon? You have to ask me nicely. You see, Danny, I can deal with the bullets and the bombs and the blood. I don't want money, and I don't want medals. What I do want is for you to stand there in that baggedy white uniform and with your Harvard mouth extend me some fucking courtesy. You gotta ask me nicely. <laughs> Duffy. Hey, Walt! Sophie. <clears throat> Go to the little girl's room for a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but Mr. Giddies. Yes, Mr. Giddies. 
Jake. Duffy, Look. listen to me, man. I want to tell you a story. So there's this guy, Walsh, you understand? He's tired of screwing his wife. See? Jake, so a wait problem. a second, Duffy. You're always in such a hurry. So his friend says to him, hey, why don't you do it like the Chinese do? So he says, well, how do the Chinese do it? The guy says, well, the Chinese, first they screw a little bit, then they stop. They go and uh, read a little Confucius, come back, screw a little bit more, then they stop again, go back, and they screw a little Jake. bit more. Walsh, just listen to me for a second. Um, you love this. Now, <clears throat> then they go back and they screw a little bit more, and then they go out and they contemplate the moon or something like that. It makes it more exciting. So now... The guy goes home and he starts screwing his own wife, see? So he screws her for a little bit and then he stops and he goes out of the room and he reads Life magazine. Then he goes back in, he starts screwing again, he says, excuse me for a minute, honey, and he goes out and he smokes a cigarette. Now his wife is getting sore as hell. He comes back in the room, he starts screwing again, he gets up to start to leave again to go look at the moon. She looks at him and says, hey, what's the matter with you? You're screwing just like a Chinaman. <laughs> What are you looking in the microphone for? It looks like an eye. Does it? No. Maybe there's... Well, yeah. This is the outside of the eye, and the red yes. part is the pupil. Hmm. That was more like a clown nose. All right. <laughs> uh, you've heard the wonderful insights about how we look at the microphones. Now, welcome back to the Ladies of Cinema. I am Jack. I'm Andrew. And... Uh, so, in very joyous news that I'd like to share with everybody, Jack Nicholson is turning 80. Yay! Happy birthday, good sir. You made it through another year. Good job. Yeah, he's made it through 80, to be exact. Um, and technically speaking, his birthday, um, <clears throat> uh, it's uh, it actually comes on April 22nd. But I wanted to do this now because it would cover, you know, into the month of April. Um, and the thing about Jack Nicholson, he... is a great actor. No, well, not more of that for me. If you had to ask me, Jack, who's your favorite actor of all time? And I would tell you, well, I don't really have an answer to that. Well, tell me anyway. I'd be like, oh, Jack Nicholson. All right. Uh, so he is somebody who uh, has been kind of inspiration for me throughout my life. He's somebody who just... His presence on screen is just always a delight for me and is always something that I find entertaining and artistically nourishing in a way. He, the, the amount of performances and quality of work that he's done over his entire career, uh, it, he, he always comes and has a really good idea of how to bring this character alive in a way that uh, just when you think, well, I, I already know what Jack Nicholson does, well, maybe you don't. Maybe he's actually going to surprise you with something. And maybe he'll go more into, quote, Jack territory. Um, I know I'm Jack, but he's also Jack. Uh, so this is the whole reason why you really like him, because you have, you have, you have the same... I name. was named after him, all right? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's Actually, I'm sure my mom would say one way or another. Um... <laughs> Tell me who my real father is, Mom. <laughs> it's not Jack Nicholson, Jack, so stop asking me. I keep wondering. I know that he's... Come on, Daddy, please, come get me. <laughs> no, my... Too much is coming out. No, my, my father is... I like my father. Um, <laughs> that's what we'll get. All right. Does he listen to the podcast? Yeah, I think so. 
You don't know for sure, do you? No. Um, Jack's father, listen to the podcast. Yeah, listen to us. And Support if you're, your son. And if you're listening to this, then you would know that you're now listening and supporting your son, so that's good. Um, no, but I just... Uh, he... To get back to the point. Yeah, to get back to the point, I feel Jack like... Jack Nicholson's a great actor. We're going to talk about a bunch of movies that are milestones in his career. Are we not? Yes, that was the the idea. I think that... But you know, you you kind of mentioned this, and I agreed that this would be a, a much better use of our time because in the past we when we talked about certain people like uh, like Christopher Lee or uh, or some of the directors like Martin Scorsese and Oliver Stone, we end up you know we we try to talk about all their movies, but that can be a lot. Um, and so what we thought would be a better idea would be to take a look at five essential Jack Nicholson movies. Now, I may come back maybe and do a bonus episode, possibly, so keep a listen for that, where maybe I'll go into other Jack Nicholson movies. But for the sake of this particular episode, I want to look at the five films of his that, when he dies, will be remembered. Now, I may already... Now, the thing is... <laughs> We're memorializing him already. Exactly. we got to be prepared. It's like the when... Uh, cinema, not <coughs> jumping the gun... Well, yeah, just... well, no, it's like when journalists have to, uh, they, they file op-eds, and then they will just kind of sit there for, like, 20 years. So, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, you might not die tomorrow, but maybe you will. <laughs> I want to get the work done now. But we're going to talk about five of Jack Nicholson's best roles. Yeah. And the thing is, I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to be leaving out uh, some other really great Jack Nicholson but roles. But that's only because this is tough. It's extremely tough. I I felt like uh, I was... Well, I won't say I was like Sophie's Choice making this list, because that's a pretty tasteless comparison. Uh, but I'm going to make it anyway. Yeah, my, my <laughs> list is just as important as Sophie choosing between her two children who will die in the Holocaust. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so there were a number of films that I did leave off that you could definitely call uh, like essential Jack Nicholson roles. But these, I felt like, are a good representation... Of films that are iconic, but at the same time, you may not have seen one or two of these films. And you should. Uh, and I'll go in chronological order. I mm. feel like that is a good way to go about this, uh, this exercise. That's the best way. Start yeah. at the beginning, and when you get to the end, stop. Well, I, I should hope we could, I'll stop. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. The Forever Podcast. That's a good idea. From the Wages of Cinema. The podcast always... That... We're not always like live streaming. We're just always talking and recording our stuff and then putting it online. As so we're we talk. so we're like the Truman Show of podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, five easy oh, pieces. Oh God! Can you imagine that we're all just, we're both just confined to this apartment and <laughs> it's just, we're podcasting all the time. We're having conversations about movies and even while we're watching movies, go into the bathroom. Or taking yeah. a shower. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, we're even sleeping and we're talking we're about movies. We're sleeping in shifts so that one of us will be able to talk about movies while the other one sleeps. Yes. Listen to the never-ending podcast coming from the Wages of Cinema. It's part of the Wages of Cinema <laughs> network. It will be coming to your podcast listening service very shortly and will never stop. Yes. All it takes is a wealthy, is a very tidy donation of uh, $500,000. Right. Um, that way we can... Jack Nicholson, we know you're listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this so, is so stupid. All right. <laughs> the never-ending podcast. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. All right. 
Five easy pieces. Okay, this is a movie that I have seen. Yeah, because, because of me. you told me to see it. Yes, I kind of made you see it when we did our uh, list episodes. You can actually go back. I believe it's episode 19 or 20. Again, this was going back to two years ago, which shouldn't isn't that long ago, but it feels like a long time yeah. in the Scareboard Podcast. It feels um, like ages. Yeah, and part of the reason I wanted you to watch that was because this uh, is one of those Jack Nicholson movies that it... It was probably... Easy Rider helped put Jack Nicholson on the map, but I feel like this is really where his career as a serious star begins. Right. Um, Because, in a way, Easy Rider was still... It kind of was on that dividing line... Excuse me, dividing line between a lot of the B-movies that he made early in his career, largely with Roger Corman. The Terror. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> the terror oh, oh that movie um but easy rider marked kind of the end of like his b movie career and the star of his a movie career but five easy pieces shows what nicholson could do when given a dramatic uh, lead character role something that uh the character that he plays uh bobby uh to um he is not a likable character through at least a good lot of this film, and yet he is our main character. He's the one that, you know, we, we want to see what his struggle is, if he's going to overcome it, if he's going to somehow come to peace with just who he is as a person and what he's doing with his life. In that way, it, it this movie also, to me, epitomizes a lot of what 70s cinema was or was aspiring to be, mm. where it was more based on... All right, here's this character, and here's this world that he's in. Um, he might be a little rebellious. He, well, very rebellious in a lot of ways. Un- unsure of himself. Uh, trying to wrestle with uh, the current time that he's in. Uh, you know, for example, so, so in that whole sequence where he's he's driving up with his girlfriend to, uh, uh, to, to see his father, they pick up these uh, two hitchhikers. Which I know you were quite a fan of that sequence. I'm an enthusiastic supporter of those hitchhikers. Yeah, because and those characters, um, in a way, are kind of emblematic of the era that they're in. Um, very much uh, just saying everything is crap, yeah. and uh, you know how the environment sucks, and how everything sucks, and how we're all going to die someday, and etc. And and he Jack Nicholson just kind of sitting there like. What do I do with these people? I have no response <laughs> to them at all. Yeah. Except to tell them to shut up every once in a while. And the thing is, even though Bobby, you might not say he's likable, I would say, though, however, he is identifiable. Yes. You can you can find a part of, of yourself in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether you're a person who just doesn't understand what is expected of you or what you want from your life. Yeah. And a, a person who has not like gigantic problems, like having enough money to pay your rent or things like that, but but like a sort of a sort of expectation problem. Yes. Like how how do I be this rebellious person, but make a life for myself when I'm constantly on the run from everything that seem that seems to be beneficial. Yeah, that that's the that's the common thread with this character, and that Nicholson really taps into is that. Uh, uh, I have a family that really expects a lot out of me, and maybe I expect a lot of myself. And 
because you won't ever really approve of maybe the way I want to live my life and all that, I've become a little bit more alienated and, you know, trying to do my own thing. And that maybe that hasn't been very successful. And because he's kind of going against the rain, he gets into relationships and situations that he doesn't even necessarily, that aren't even lasting or even yeah. ple pleasant. I don't know if you'd be particularly interested in hearing anything about me. My life, I mean, most of it doesn't add up to much that I could relate as a way of life that you'd approve of. I move around a lot. Not because I'm looking for anything, really, but because I'm getting away from things that get bad if I stay. Auspicious beginnings, you know what I mean? I'm trying to imagine your... your half of this conversation. <clears throat> My feeling is, I don't know that uh, if you could talk, we wouldn't be talking. It's pretty much the way that it got to be before I left. Are you all right? And I think it also is the kind of character that Nicholson was at the perfect age to play, too. Mm -hmm. Because if he had been younger, that, like if he had been maybe like 20 or something then maybe think like, hey, you haven't really lived enough of your life yet, kid. Right. But if he was 40, maybe he would have been a little too old to play his kind You would of have expected more <clears throat> humanity and development from a character that age. Or, or, if, or if not that, if he was more of like a burnout, then you might not have as much sympathy for him. Right. But here, what's kind of great is you spend the, kind of like the first half of the movie, Nicholson just seems like, I'm just this blue-collar, oil-rig worker guy, and... I have a girlfriend that we have a little bit of a rocky relationship. But in, in a way, I mean, in a way, that's kind of a, a facade. Yeah, but that yeah that that that's, ends up being a I, facade. He has, he has this blue collar job. He has this, <coughs> you know, sort of hot country girlfriend. Yeah, Karen the Black is the girlfriend. The kind the kind of woman you would expect like an uh, expect to be the girlfriend of an oil rig worker, but. But he has a little. She's not. She's not. She's certainly not as smart as he is, and they don't. And they they certainly don't want the same thing out of the relationship. Yeah. E there's even a... even if even if Jack Nicholson's character doesn't know what he wants out of that relationship, he know he well even if he knows what he he doesn't always know what he wants, but I, but I think he knows what he doesn't want. Right. And I think and that, that's that's a problem. Yeah. I don't want a certain set of things. I don't know what the rest of all that stuff I want, uh, what everything else yeah. is, and what I wanted from those things. Well, then, but then, then when you see what he came from, that he grew up on this little, like, off Seattle island, it feels like, or North Carolina island. I don't even know exactly where it is. He comes from money, and it he, yeah. and that and that little and that house is a <coughs> well furnished house in a sort of country estate. Yeah, and whenever Not he's... like a country estate, but it's it's kind of like a vacation house in a way. Yeah, it feels like a vacation house, and yet they live there. So that's almost like... They winter there. 
I guess. I don't know if they... I, I don't know if they... We spend, I, I, we spend our summers there. I don't remember if they explained that, if they were to live... It doesn't matter. It it's, doesn't matter. It's a really nice house. Yeah, and you can kind of understand, all right, well, like a lot of people of that time, uh, you know, in the 60s and early 70s, you know, you had a generation of people who were just, I'm going to reject my parents' values. I'm going to reject uh, things that I want to try to find value in something else and he can play piano and he can do that but it hasn't really led to any kind of career or anything he wants with that even either. though to a certain extent he enjoys that he does uh, like in a way his moment of kind of happiness comes in that random moment where he's in traffic and, and he jumps uh, on a moving truck that has the piano yeah and he plays the piano and it takes him away that almost serves as like a metaphor for that uh as far as nicholson as performer um, I mean, again, as I said, this is where Nicholson really became a star because he's playing this character, but you see a full range of what he can do as an actor. Yeah. You can see his charm. Uh, you can see him in, you know, little quiet moments, you know, when he thinks, uh, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to show that as an actor and I feel you, like he can do that. You see him get a little goofy and a little worked up. A little goofy. Well, you can see him get really worked up. You can yeah. see him get angry as hell. I mean... Uh, the 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 scene in the the diner that everybody remembers, he, you know, he, he's actually pretty calm through a lot of that, but he's also giving a lot of attitude. Yeah. And but you're kind of on his side, even though you can understand what the waitress is going through too, because yeah. we you've probably gotten other people who you know want to substitute things. Um, and at the very end, where he just very calmly puts on his glasses and is like, "Do you see this sign?" Yeah. It gets rid of everything. You just kind of feel like the audience watching that, you know, that's a thrilling moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, he gets very angry. Uh, he, you know, seems like a very attractive presence in the film, too. Um, but you do, you, you do understand that he's a guy who, he's not so appealing because... There, there's because there's so Outs much missing in his life that he he hurts the people around him. Yeah, outside of when he's not rebelling, you know what else has he got? Yeah, you know. So there's, and I feel like in a way this Nicholson character and performance, again, a lot of, even though he's made so many other films that are more memorable, I feel like the Nicholson persona kind of starts here that we kind of think about with a lot of the films that he does. Well. Maybe in a small way. If you want to talk about what are the hallmarks of Nicholson, which is incredible range, uh, real commitment to a character, and just yeah. flat-out awesome acting, then yeah, this is the beginning yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get as angry as in some of his other films. Uh, now, to move on to the next film, uh, I don't know if there's anything else I should say about this. Except uh, I think that, we, well, uh, if you want to hear more about five easy pieces listen to our uh, yeah listen to that episode. podcast where we talked a little bit more about that exactly and i'll, and I'll put a link to that in the uh, in the notes um the second film i wanted to mention and now the first three films <clears throat> are from the 70s and again i wrestled with going from a different film in the 80s and i'll mention at the very end what some of those other films are but chinatown right uh, that's also another film where um because uh, in the, the years in between Five Easy Pieces and Chinatown, Nicholson made a lot of movies that people you know really talk about and remember. Things like Carl Knowledge and King of Marmot Gardens and other things like that. Last Detail. But Chinatown, this is a big Hollywood studio movie. Directed but, by a very 
famous director. Yeah, a famous director who has since, you know, fallen under different categories. That's not Jack Nicholson's fault. <laughs> no, it's not. Although, it was Jack Nicholson's house. Well. Uh, we, we won't go in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in Chinatown, um, I don't know if we've talked about this movie on the podcast before. I know you've seen it. Um, it is kind of what I immediately think of when I think of neo-noir. That's fair. I mean, it's also Jack Nicholson playing a sort of type. Yeah. I mean, the sort of, the film noir detective. It's something we've seen over and over again. And in this case, Jack Nicholson takes a, takes a, his, takes a swing at it. Yeah. So he doesn't so much feel like, you know, Jack Nicholson anymore. He feels like he slips very comfortably into that persona. Yeah, but I feel like that also shows his skills as an actor that he he spends a lot not all the time but he spends a good lot of the time in this movie listening and watching things yeah and he makes it interesting though like just in those scenes where he's looking around uh like some of those deserted fields and things like when he finds out like this whole area is having water diverted from it and there's all these other shady things going on he makes for an interesting screen presence. Again, he's not doing much. And you usually expect, well, is Nicholson going to ham this up, possibly, to play this detective? And he never does. No. He keeps it very cool. He's a very cool kind of character. Kind of pretty low-key. Yeah. And in a way, it, 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 in a, I think he... That, that's what I mean by him slipping into that role rather than really making it his own. Well, I, no, I mean, I think he does make it his own in a sense. I feel like another actor might have tried to, maybe they would have, could have, they, they might have overplayed certain things. Maybe they would have tried to make him more of a outright tough guy sort of thing. Because that, that could be in some of J.J. Giddes, that he's this guy who's, you know, like the old style, hard-boiled uh, private detective. You know, the guy who's always snapping photos, like Bogart played. Um, but... Yeah, I feel like what he brings to this is that yeah, he slips into the role, but there are still a lot of scenes where he gets to show some personality that really mark it as his own thing, too. Mm. Like, there's that scene where he tells the joke. You remember that? He, he, he spends this whole moment talking to some of his associates, because he, he overheard some joke while he was getting a shave, and it's this long-winded joke... Uh, about like a guy who's like screwing his wife and uh he uses that term and it ends the joke ends with nobody else laughing because Faye Dunaway this is like her entrance into the film oh, and yeah. she pops up she's sort of there behind him while he's telling this overlong joke and it leads to this punchline that <clears throat> you know he finds hysterical and you know, Nicholson tells it in that way where it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I almost feel kind of bad for you, but I'm also kind of laughing. Yeah. And then immediately as he turns around, it's like, oh, I feel just as bad. Now I feel even worse for him. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's that moment. Um, he, uh, I also like that he can show, he shows real, he can feel terror. Uh, Polanski has a cameo in the film. Yeah. As uh, this man tough guy, knife. yeah, he's credited as man with knife. Uh, he's the one who gives Nicholson the the nasty scar on his nose yeah. uh, that he sports for like most of the film. That's another interesting thing that Nicholson, you know, certain actors can be very vain. 
uh, you know, they don't want to ha- look a certain way throughout a film. They want to be presented a certain way. Nicholson spends more than half that film with a giant bandage and a scar on his face. Yeah. And uh, it adds a certain edge to him, I feel like. And it also gives him that great moment where he gets to tell off Faye Dunaway and be like, Mrs. Mulray, I just goddamn near lost my nose. And I like it. I like breathing through it. <laughs> that, 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 I, I gotta say, that is a pretty Nicholson moment right there. Yeah. I that... like my nose. I like breathing through it. I think you better come with me. But why? There's nothing more to say. Will you get my car, please? Okay, go home. But in case you're interested, your husband was murdered. Somebody has been dumping thousands of tons of water from the city's reservoirs, and we're supposed to be in the middle of a drought. He found out about it, and he was killed. There's a waterlogged drunk in the morgue, involuntary manslaughter if anybody wants to take the trouble, which they don't. It seems like half the city is trying to cover it all up, which is fine by me. But Mrs. Mulray, I goddamn near lost my nose, and I like it. I like breathing through it. And I still think that you're hiding something. Yes. Well, there are a number. It's of... kind of like in The Shining, where it's like, oh, see, every shining. time you come in here, you're distracting me, and I have to go back to where I was. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that. Well, The Shining was probably the toughest movie to leave off of this list, to be honest. Well, yeah. Like, well, I, I was, was really. A, it was a pretty tough movie for Nicholson to be in. <laughs> But also, I mean, well, that was a movie that I think a lot of people think of when they think of Nicholson. Oh, yeah. They don't necessarily... They might... I, they, the, the Shining is an extremely popular movie. Not just for its genre. It's it's just one of the as a best-known fil- films of all a, time. Yeah. And who inhabits that movie better yeah. than Jack Nicholson? Exactly. Um, but, I, with Chi- but with Chinatown, the reason why I picked this, too, was because... Um, like he, it shows that as a star, he's able to. We usually think of it. Well, usually stars don't really. Again, I mentioned the vanity thing about his nose. He, he's able to have a lot of screen presence as this character, but he's also fully invested in just telling the story. And I feel like a lot of his acting. He 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 might not be given enough credit sometimes as an actor as somebody who is just fully trying to get the story told the best way it can, regardless of, all right, if I have to put on some weight, I'll put on some weight. If I have to put on this mustache or... that'll work out. Well, yeah, I don't know if he worked out ever that much for a role. Uh, Oh, I thought you meant, like, actors in general. I wasn't listening. Well, sometimes they do that, yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, with Chinatown, it's also... When we talk about really well-known movies, (coughs) I mean, this is probably one of the most well-known films of the second half of the 20th century like it's uh like their only reason it didn't win probably a lot more oscars like the year it came out was because it was up against godfather 2 and uh you know yeah like nicholson as i mentioned before but i have to emphasize sometimes it's just really interesting to watch actors listening and looking at things like a lot of people remember like a lot of people will note the scene with the Faye Dunaway, where it's revealed with, uh, she's my sister, my daughter, sister, daughter. You know, he's very angry in that scene for yeah. good reason. 
but the moment after when she reveals it to to Nicholson and what that's all about, yeah. um, his reaction when he's just looking at her, I just feel like, oh man, that's so good. Yeah, I, I know what you mean when you, when you talk about people listening. I mean, it's when you have a character, when you have an actor who's when you have a great actor who's playing a great character. You know, when they talk, it's great. They have memorable lines. They have great speeches. Those are all fantastic. But when someone that good and when a character that meaningful stops talking and listens to another person, yeah, that gives so much weight to what's being said and what's going on in the film. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 a tr it's a tremendous tool. Yeah, that when you find when you wit and that when you witness it, it it really catches your attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and because he's so good, then that also helped elevate Faye Dunaway's performance, and um, and it's also like he he also allows for other actors to kind of ham it up a little bit too. Like he has just two scenes in that movie with John Huston, <coughs> and they're both great. I love those scenes so much, and you know a lot of it's John Huston that's talking. Uh, at my age, you tend to forget these things, but. Please find my daughter. And then later on, you know, there's that great moment where John Huston's like, See, Mr. Gibbs, the right that the many people never seem to face the fact that at the right time and the right place, they are capable of anything. I'm an oil man. Yeah, he made the. Well, no, in, in Chinatown, he's a water man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, any other thoughts about Chinatown? Because I know you've seen this movie. Jack, forget about it. Uh, uh, Pat. I, it's, <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to keep that in because you said it. Um, I would say if you haven't seen Chinatown, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. I think it's on Netflix. It is one of those films that is remem remembered as a classic 70s movie and a classic screenplay for good reason. Um... I think actually Robert Town, the writer, wrote this for Jack Nicholson, and it shows. Directed by a man who cannot come back into the country. No, this was probably his peak in Hollywood as a director. And Crime he... will do that to you. <laughs> oh, another interesting note uh, that Chinatown reminded me of. So, this is on, actually on the personal side of things with Nicholson. Um, he... So in this movie, again, that whole uh, scene a lot of people remember the, you know, she's my sister and my daughter. Um, in real life, Jack Nicholson as a kid grew up thinking that his grandmother, uh, oh no, no, sorry, thinking that his mother was his mother, but his mother was actually his grandmother. And the woman that he thought was his sister was his mother. So he thought this. He was told this. What? As a kid, yeah, he was raised thinking that like his, uh, like his the woman who was his like older sister was that and it was actually her mother, his mother. Okay, so and because no, she had so him like when she was really young. Oh, okay. And so they told him and it was that kind of like his a, grandmother was his mother. Yeah, but really the woman who's okay. I got it. Yeah, and it really like threw him for a loop. Like he didn't find this out until. Ironically enough, when he was making Chinatown, 
Wow. <laughs> that, that will that will mess you up. Yeah. I have to wonder if Nicholson was kind of messed up from that. Because, again, he spent, you know, the better part of, like, I don't know, he must have been, like, 35, 36 when he made uh, Chinatown. He spent all that years of his life, you know, like, imagine that also on the other side of it. If you're the mother of somebody and you have to kind of pretend that you're that the sister for reasons, I guess maybe you thought like you're a little too young to be this person's mother or something that might've been really more of the reason. Maybe she was just a little too young to raise him. And yeah. Yeah. Again, there were a lot of other re like and no one wanted word to get out. Yeah. Um, I get, yeah, that was probably more so the reason that was, you know, in the thirties and forties. So, it, you know, might cause a bit of a scandal, uh, there are other reasons surrounding yeah, that, that. That stuff did not fly. No, yeah. Um, and I read Nicholson's biography, or one of them, a long time ago. Um, and it went into a little more detail about that. But yeah, so, again, while he's making Chinatown, he finds this out. I think he might even found it out from a reporter, too. That's probably the messed up part. Like, I, don't think, I don't think his family even told him. He found it out from a reporter. Jeez. Yeah, or it's some article or something. And yeah. Um, now this is also, now this next movie came out the next year, uh, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, probably the movie that he might be remembered for the most outside of the movie we'll talk about after this one. There's a lot of similarity between this performance and his performance in Five Easy Pieces, I feel. Yeah. He's playing similar characters, but this one in Cuckoo's Nest has, him, has himself figured out a lot better. Interesting. Uh, we're point. talking about uh. a sort of rebellious character, a guy who doesn't have a lot of direction, except in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that character has much more control over his destiny. I feel, and uh, he tr <coughs> he he connives to get himself into this mental hospital, not understanding the implications of that. But it's it's an interesting point because I think you could say that in a way we might we would kn we know more about. Uh, Robert Dupee, uh, the Five Easy Pieces character, his background more because we see him with his family. We learn about where he came from and where he's been his whole life. We don't necessarily know everything about McMurphy in that way, and no. he might be technically more of a not technically. I mean, he was in jail for you know uh, statutory rape. Yeah, so he's not exactly <clears throat> he's not presented as somebody who is the most he's virtuous spotless, person but when you put a man like that into a situation yeah of an oppressive management of a mental hospital and what he ultimately does is give the people in there their humanity back yeah then that is he becomes he, a hero who yeah to, to a certain extent maybe the, like maybe mcmurphy and dupuy are the same person, but in different circumstances. Yeah. In five easy pieces, he has no purpose because of, uh. because of the world around him. In Cuckoo's Nest, he is put into a very narrow set of circumstances where he has very few choices, but he makes the best decision. And he's also able to connect with people in a way that he either couldn't or wouldn't in yeah. five easy pieces he, he gets to connect to those people who are just as de just as desperate as he is but not with the people who who, who run his life and and, and are, are messing with everybody yeah well as he tells them at, at one point you know what do you think you are crazy or something you're not you're all crazier than the average asshole out walking the street that's it <laughs> 
and he tells this to people who are, you know, in a mental hospital and are probably dealing with real things, but yeah. at the same time, they're also but, but under at the same time, tragedy. All those people, <clears throat> technically, with in a real in a realistic way, can leave that hospital. Yeah, that that that's one the of the problem amazing is, things. is that their will has been sapped by the people who watch over them. Yeah, the, well, the people watch over them and just how... Um, by, by their indifference and by their their and by their will to basically to dominate others. Exactly. And you know, Nicholson gets to get to gets to let loose. He he when we talk about the range that he shows as an actor throughout his career, a lot of that range he got his first Oscar for this movie and I mean it's clear to see why. He he is you know, you can't imagine anyone else except him as R.P. McMurphy. And the funny thing is, I've read the book, and in the book, he's not quite described exactly how he is. He's he he's he he's more of like a redheaded guy, right? And that's why I guess he doesn't look quite like he does here. But um, I, personality-wise, it's kind of, it's still similar, so that works, right? Um, he um, he's described. Well, the book is also told from the point of view of the of Bromden the Indian. Right. So he's also described as being like seven feet tall. Uh, cause he seemed like that right. big to the guy. Um, I just love also how, again, when I talk about range Nicholson, there'll be times in this movie where he will actually be really quiet and that gets underappreciated by people who talk about this movie. Cause they will often just look at the really big moments yeah. because there are a lot of big moments in this movie. <clears throat> but there's this one shot in the film that I just love where um, it comes time to, he, through a, a number of reasons that I won't get into, he actually almost ha he has a chance to get out of the hospital. Um, it's like in the middle of the night, and it's been while he's been kind of throwing a party for some of the other uh, people that are there. And he's, the, the technically the window's open, he could just leave. And he's just kind of sitting by himself, and he just has, like, this look where he's kind of thinking and, you know, he kind of smiles to somebody and he's just kind of in his own headspace. And this shot goes on, for, like, for a while. Like, it's, in movie time, it feels like it's almost, like, five minutes. But it's, it's shorter than that. And I just love this one little moment where he gets to show that. And, of course, yeah, there are the scenes where he's, like, you know, telling off Nurse Ratched and uh, playing basketball and... And when, he, and when he does that whole baseball game thing. Oh, just God, yeah. imagining the game. Yes. Yeah, imagining the baseball game and acting it out for everybody who then acted out with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I love that sequence, too, because, well, right before that is when he finally kind of sways everybody in a way by trying to lift up that sink. Because before that in the movie, they're kind of amused by McMurphy, but they don't really think of him as somebody looked up look up to they right. just see him as like just this, some guy and uh and then like when he tries to lift the sink you know to try to throw it through the window and he tries to lift it for like five minutes or something he lifts it tries to lift it for a while and then he can't do it and he's just like well, i tried didn't i god damn it at least i did that <laughs> and it's like this real like embarrassment but yeah it is it, that's that's a thing Nicholson does where it's like he's sl he's below most audible conversation 
but he's just above like a growl. Yeah. <laughs> no, I tried, didn't I? He does a yeah. lot of that in The Departed, I yeah. feel like. He does a lot of those moments where he's just kind of growling. The only one who can do what I do is me. More of the people that have died for me to be me. You want to be me? <laughs> <laughs> Still totally awesome. All right, all I need is one vote, right? Right? All right. Want to watch the World Series? Come on in, pal. This could be a big moment for you. Now, you want to watch a baseball game? You want to watch baseball? Just raise that hand up. Just raise the hand up. What do you say? Sorry. Banchini, old horse. What do you say? You want to watch the ball game on TV? Huh? Want to watch the ball game? Baseball? World Series? What do you say, Cal? You tired? Just raise your hand up, Banchini. Watch the ball game, huh? What about you, Cal? All we need is one vote. Just one vote. Just your one vote. That's all we need. Just raise your hand up and your buddies can watch the baseball game. I'm... Gambo, you remember, don't you? October, the banner, the stars. Oh, say, can you? The World Series. Raise your hand up to By the dawn's early. Just raise your hand up to light. What about you, Cal? Huh? Want to watch the ball game? Want to watch the ball game? Huh? Just one vote. Just raise your hand. Gentlemen, the meeting is adjourned. For Christ's sake, isn't there one of you fucking maniacs that knows what I'm talking about? Mr. McMurphy. Huh? The meeting is adjourned. All right, just wait a minute, will you? Just one minute. You can bring the subject up again tomorrow. All right, Chief. You're our last chance. What do you say, huh? Just raise your hand up. That's all we need from you today, Chief. Just raise your hand up one time. Show her that you can do it. Just show her that you can still do it. Just raise your hand up. All the guys have got them up. Just raise your hand up, Chief, will you? Huh? Come on, there's got to be one guy in here that's not a total fucking nut. Mac? Chief! The chief! Ah! Chief! Where's Ratchet? Where's Ratchet? Look! Look! The chief put his hand up! The chief put his hand up! Look, he voted! Would you please turn the, would you please turn the television set on? Into the tub room, The chief please. has got his Come hand on, up right there. Get in there. Chief voted. Now, would you please turn the television set on? Mr. McMurphy. The meeting was adjourned and the vote was closed. But the vote was 10 to 8. The chief, he's got his hand up. Look. No, Mr. McMurphy. When the meeting was adjourned, the vote was 9 to 9. Ah, oh, come on. You're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that handheld shit now. When the vote, the chief just voted, it was 10 to 9. Now, I want that television set turned on right now. Kicks. He delivers. It's up the middle. It's a base hit. Richardson rounding first. He's going for second. The ball's in the deep right center. 
Davis it over in the corner, cut the ball off. Here comes the throw, which is around, and Gertie goes in the second. He's tied. He's in there. He's safe. It's a double. He's in there, Martin. You look at Richardson. He's on second base. Kovacs is in big fucking trouble. Big trouble, baby. All right. Here's Crash as the next batter. Crash looks in. Kovacs. Kovacs gets a sign from Roseboro. He kicks once. He pumps. He fires. It's a strike. Kovacs' curveball is stabbing off like a fucking firecracker. All right. Here he comes with the next pitch. Crash swings. It's a long fly ball, and he flips it out. Yeah, he is so awesome in this movie. I've watched this movie countless times. Uh, I count it in like my top movies for a reason just because again it it kind of celebrates the human spirit even as it's showing uh a lot of these people are really messed up it doesn't uh, it doesn't shy away from that either it tries to make things as honest as possible while still appealing as a you know a, a kind of raucous movie right um and uh i mean nicholson isn't the only great thing about it we actually talked a little bit about this movie too back when we did our episode on villains yeah because uh, we talked about nurse ratchet and uh the fact that she's kind of like the opposite of nicholson whereas nicholson is showing all of this life and energy and actually listening to people and connecting with them nurse ratchet you know louise lasser she's just very mechanical very like trying to keep things on an even keel always restrained always restrained and it makes uh you know, whether it was Lasser's decision to do that or the director tried to ask her to play it that way, it was the right call because it makes for the perfect contrast with Nicholson. Yeah. Um, and, uh... Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, man, the ending, too. Like, uh... The ending's, like, very... The, the definition of bittersweet. <laughs> it's like you get that bitter moment, and then it's like, ah! Yes, Yay. Christopher Lloyd gets to have his moment too. Right. Um, so that's one for the Cuckoo's Nest. If for some reason you're one of the two or three people listening who haven't seen it, see it. Uh, it's just a masterpiece, and Nicholson is a big reason for it because, again, that's a further crystallization of what makes him such a major presence in movies. Um, and the like the way that we said that. You know, The Shining is just one of the most well-known movies ever made. Cuckoo's Nest is also very well-known, and I think in large part because of Nicholson. You know, yeah, so. that's that's a movie even my dad has seen. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he hasn't seen a lot of movies that are made in like the past like 40 years. Yeah, he, he is not a cinema man, but he has seen one or two of The Cuckoo's Nest. And good he, for him. And he speaks positively. Oh, good. Now, going from that, let's take a little detour into Batman. Why Batman? This is something I'm very interested in. It, um, well, I, um, I mean, a lot you, of reasons. I mean, I, we, especially considering now, I mean, we have so many superhero films now where so many A-list actors end yeah. up getting underutilized or poorly utilized. Yeah. 
we go back to the 1980s when we have the first Batman film and we have the Joker played by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Now, I should note that this wasn't the first time that uh, the studios did this because, I mean, you did have Superman as, like, the precedent, you know, which had Marlon Brando and uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. Okay. So that was kind of the first step that kind of broke through this idea that you can only have and, and, comic book movies and shows that have, like, b or c or d list actors um even if it's really good like you know the 60s batman which is my shit uh <laughs> but you don't usually think of oh adam west is the biggest star in the world you think oh adam west he's awesome yeah. but he's not you know on well, that well, tier. well the television batman <clears throat> batman from the 60s had its roots in television yeah it just incidentally became, got made into a movie i think that what makes batman work for me so well is that it I think probably on the outset, a lot of the studio and the producers probably thought, well, we have this property, we have Batman and the Joker, you know, that will sell itself. But uh, when Tim Burton got involved, he, I think, you know, however you feel about how the movie came out, some people find that it has some flaws here or there, but he wanted to actually make a movie. He wasn't out to just give us this property that has action and special effects. He had a real cl clear vision of what he wanted to do. Certainly. He, he wanted to break apart from how people saw Batman. Uh, the fact that it was mostly seen by people. And not, not, not so much the people who followed the comics. Because by then, that was when things had started to change. And the darker Batman was being accepted. But a lot of audiences, like my mom. who like My mom took me and my brother to see Batman the weekend it came out. Uh, <laughs> and what? Yeah. How old were you? I was like five. Huh. I, I don't have much memory of the movie at the time. I have more of a memory of being online to see the movie. That was probably the first time I can remember being on a line to wait to see a movie because it was, you know, a, a phenomenon when it came out. Like, yeah. it, people, it, <clears throat> the way that people kind of looked at The Dark Knight when that came out, that was Batman when Batman came out. Like, uh, the, the, I think Batman was also the first example of in a pre-internet era, and the only other movie I can think of that also had this was uh, The Phantom Menace, where people went to go see movies that they didn't even want to see just so they could see the trailer for Batman. <laughs> people did that for Phantom Menace, too. Um, what movie showed the Batman trailer before... Uh... Oh, I, I don't remember. It mu That's actually a good piece of trivia that I wish i really you know i'm gonna look that up right this second um uh but while i'm ta while i'm looking that up like so batman so, in this movie uh the, so J nicholson plays the joker he doesn't start off immediately in the movie as the joker which i think is a good right. distinction to make uh he plays this character jack napier i don't know if he's ever jack napier in any of the comics uh maybe he is or not i uh, think in uh the animated series he was yeah, I and mean, that flew right on the heels of the of the movie. So, you know, they 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 co opted the lore of the movie wholesale. Yeah, I'm not finding any. Uh, I'm not finding anything about where the trailer was, by the way, for where, what movie it played with. I'm sure it was something. I always, I do always wonder about these sort of things because I know I know actors like money. Yeah, and I know, uh, but at this point, Jack Nicholson was a, a well established actor. Well established star. Yeah, I, I, I mean, multiple Oscars. He'd already won two 
Uh, he got a second one for uh, the Terms of Endearment. Uh, right. He was also in the 80s. He was in Prizzy's Honor and Witches of Eastwick and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and then, you know, he gets this offer for Batman to play yeah. the Joker. Mm-hmm. So, I always wonder... Why he wanted to do it? Yeah, more or less. Well, I think that he... Well, there are there are a number I, of reasons this, from what I've read. This is, I, this is this is a lot of assumption on my part. But go ahead. All right. Well, all right. Well, first of all, I mean, well, he met with Burton, and he liked him, and he thought, well, this guy, I feel like I can trust this guy to make a movie that's really different and yeah. out there that I haven't seen. Um, I think that there are times in his career where he just loves to let loose and play over the top. Um, he, in a way, and he'd already, maybe he was in that mind frame already because Witches of Eastwick was a movie that he did a couple years before where he literally played Satan. Uh, with that movie's old. Have you ever seen Witches of Eastwick? I haven't. That's a lot of fun. Uh, that's, uh, George Miller directed that too. Ah, cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh. Put it on the list. Yeah. Um, but I think that he also recognized that, um, I think what he said, he he almost saw it as like a pop art performance okay. or something where he could play really exaggerated and play this character that, I guess he had also read the comics as a kid, maybe. Maybe. Liked it then. Uh, but what was your assumption? Well, the, Aside like, from that he wanted money. Well, but I don't think okay, that's the it, reason because he's more, even though he's a star, I feel like he, throughout his career... More or less, but mostly more, wanted to actually do roles that challenged him. So, you know, even though he could have just done things for money, he would do something like Reds, right. for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. forgot that he was in that for a moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, the thing is, it's something we've seen so many times of so many well, uh, of so many lauded actors being kind of thrown into superhero films. And you know used as backup and looking back on that we it's it's hard to see why people do that except maybe for the paycheck i don't see much that's challenging about a lot of the marvel films and roles that that they have for villains in those things uh so but you know you bring up a good point i mean certainly tim burton had to have some sort of influence over what over how nicholson made that decision i think that was a big part of it because from what i've read if i think nicholson at first was a little trepidatious and he wanted to meet burton I, and the other thing is back then well also, the comic book movie was not a thing no people so, like so you know you have i mean superman big success but you know that's one big success and how, what else could we count towards there that? were basically no other franchise type comic book movies at that time except and then for you Superman. have the popular view of batman you identify it with adam west in the 1960s and this campy overblown uh farce so i the thing i keep wondering is what the, would jack nicholson see in the part of a supervillain in a comic book movie went back when comic book movies didn't mean much well in and, a way you know, well, you've explained that to a certain extent. yeah but you could also you might have also answered that question yourself in a way because he you know before that who'd you have as the joker you had caesar romero right you know latin lover with um white paint painted over his mustache and he was secretly gay 
Oh, there are some. There's a Caesar Romero story that I'll I'll save for off mic. Um, I, maybe I told you that story already. Possibly. <laughs> well, I think Gilbert Gottfried for telling me that story first. But anyway, he, as an actor, if you are trying to challenge yourself, even with something that seems as big as Batman, um, you want to try to find that element of it that will make you try to go a little bit further or deeper than you've gone. And I feel like one, one of the triumphs of Nicholson's performance is that he finds some of the camp value. Like there's maybe I'd say a good 20 to 30% of this performance or maybe more of it. That's campy and very full of, bleh. but there's also a lot never, of never rubber man's rhubarb. Rubber man's rhubarb. Uh, where's the Batman? He's at home watching his tights. <laughs> natural only your undertaker knows for sure <laughs> i know what you're saying where can i get these fine new items well that's the gag chances are you bought them already <laughs> Love that so remember put on a happy face <laughs> <laughs> yeah bob gun i'm gonna need a meal alone boys uh, but he, there's also some darkness to the movie too. He, I believe his Joker as a legitimate threat and that he's really crazy. And I feel like Nicholson thought, all right, I want to try to act. I want to find this darkness that Burton is going for. I want to yeah. try to tap into that. Um, not, you know, I, I know obviously he probably recognized that Keaton was going to be doing the lion's share of that as Batman. But there is an element of this where his Joker, to me, he can be kind of scary. Like, there's an element of where he mixes a lot of these tones sometimes in, like, one scene. Like, uh, that there's this one sequence, which maybe I'll put the audio in this podcast, where he uh, suddenly, uh, one of the reporters drops dead from Nicholson, from Jack's, uh, from the Joker's toxin, uh, makeup toxin. And all of a sudden, he cuts in on the TV and he has his own commercial. Yeah. New improved Joker products with the secret ingredient, smileys. And he does this whole commercial, which is hilarious. Yeah. Like, I think this thing, like, he's also genuinely funny as the Joker. I think he just wanted to do that, too. But in the scene, he's also kind of terrifying because he's killing people with makeup products. Yeah. I, he's creating total chaos. The Joker is a scary character, but he is also, and Jack Nicholson, is sometimes a scary guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, we go back to The Shining. Yeah. I mean, you, you could think... And, or, know, or even then, A Few Good Men. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson, I mean, even right now, the man's 80 years old, I would probably be incredibly intimidated to be in his presence. I would be intimidated by him 
in the sense that he's like one of my heroes, but I not I don't think he would scare me. At least at first. Yeah, he would scare me. <laughs> because I don't know what to expect. Why do exactly. you think he's gonna slam your hand with a shoe? <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking. Okay. But, you know, it's this he it, it is, is, but it, 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 in a way, it is a great fit because there is a certain difference in in Nicholson's performances, like yeah. like The Shining, where it seems like there's a lot going on underneath this underneath yeah. the skin. I, I, he's he a lot of times in movies he says one thing, but you have the feeling that he is thinking and doing something else, and that adds to the sort of unpredictability of the Joker. The other thing too that I wanted to touch on before he going to anything else with with why i think he probably wanted to play joker he's a character who unlike in the shining where jack torrance is somebody who kind of succumbs to the madness around him and all these ghosts and things he completely is like he he takes on the madness with relish and yeah. glee like because when he 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 falls into the, the the chemical pit and he transforms and comes back out um that scene where he shoots Jack Palance, you know, that's when you suddenly realize, oh, this guy is just totally gone. And it, it just, it makes for something that's very funny. And so I think there was the element of, I get to have a good time and try to have this character be comedic, but it's also darkly comedic. Yeah. It's almost like this, like, you know, satire of uh, he criminals. He fries a man with a joy buzzer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we got a live one here. <laughs> In a weird way, when you're talking about how sometimes we have this problem of actors taking on these comic book character hero roles, and you don't really think that they're doing that much that's really making them stand out or challenging them. In a strange way, though, to connect with that, maybe you got reversed that maybe um, also by Nicholson doing this performance, a lot of actors saw that as legitimacy. That now, oh, I can do this comic book movie. I saw Nicholson do it. I saw Dane DeVito as the Penguin or people like that. I and saw Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Well, I don't know, if, I don't know how many people Ooh, look at Thurman. that. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger pulled it off. <laughs> My name is Please. Nice to meet you. Stay cool, <laughs> bird boy. Um, what killed the dinosaurs? A meteor. No, 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 no. Wrong quote. I know. <laughs> because okay. scientifically speaking no. the ice age did not kill the dinosaurs the ice age comes much later after yeah. the extinction of the dinosaurs the meteor impact which blotted out the sun uh killed the dinosaurs <laughs> i just smacked andrew no, okay um i don't know so does that answer your question at all yes yeah so and plus this movie's just awesome i well, just i love batman I love this bat. I love this movie. I don't care what anybody says. I could watch. I've I've seen this movie since I saw it in the theater as a kid. I saw it three more times on the big screen. I guess Nicholson liked working with Burton because he worked with him again on Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Which is also like that's a. I, I don't even know if I want to call that a guilty pleasure because I do. I just enjoy that movie. Uh, I recognize that it's a really goofy. I don't know what this is, Hollywood movie. He and not only that, in that movie he played two parts. I don't know if you ever did you ever see Mars Attacks? I haven't. 
Oh. They showed they showed it a lot on cable over the years. Like if you ever turn on TBS, I, sometimes Mars Attacks will pop up on there. And what's great in that movie, he plays the president. Right. But he also plays like a sleazy Las Vegas gambling guy. And like he has like a bad accent and like a mustache. And he's like, I'm using this Texas type of accent. And like I can't really do it, but it's it almost should be embarrassing, but Nicholson's just having so much fun in it. Uh, that's another thing with Batman. I like that. I sometimes just like seeing an actor have fun, and that's what this this character he did there. But he did more than that. It wasn't just having fun. It was also finding the essence of here's how Burton wants to do the Joker. I'll do it the best way I can for him. Okay. Um, and that's why I think he made it so memorable too. It's just. You know, I, I guess now because of years of Heath Ledger and the and the that Joker from The Dark Knight, I do think of the Joker from that a lot more now. Right. But there's always a soft spot in my heart for Nicholson, the Joker. Um, so now I want to move on to our uh, the last film, the fifth film. We've right. now talked about four really key Nicholson movies and probably touched on others tangentially. Uh, but this was a movie that you hadn't seen before about Schmidt, right? Um. And the reason why I picked this film is because I feel like this is in uh, this century. Uh, he hasn't made a lot of movies since uh, the start of this new, you know, in the past. Uh, you know, Do you attempt to slow down as you approach eighty? Oh yeah, a little bit. Well, also he's now in a position after Batman because that I think because he 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 took like a back end deal with like toys and stuff too. Uh, um, so he kind of took a little bit of the George Lucas route on that. And he made something like, I think it's rumored to be like 60 or $70 million oof. just on Batman. Yeah. So, I mean, he could have retired, but you know, he decided, all right, I'm just going to be a little more picky about the films I choose. And sometimes that works out and sometimes not. So on the one hand, you might have the departed. On the other hand, you might have, uh, uh, anger management. <laughs> For some reason, I'm going to do a movie with Adam Sandler. Sure. I guess because he asked nice. But about Schmidt, I feel like, is going back to the beginning in a way. This yeah. has a little bit of the tone of a Five Easy Pieces, That's what but in thinking. the opposite way. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in Five Easy Pieces, you had somebody who, um, you know, couldn't really figure out what they were going to do with their life. And, and was rebelling against a lot of things. Yeah. And while you have a person who is basically <laughs> stuck to a very simple, uh, uncomplicated, dull lifestyle. Yeah, and it's also the challenge, I think, for Nicholson in this movie. Um, aside, I mean, I think he put on a little bit of weight, too, but aside from that, he... Just playing a normal... Well, I'd say normal, but just an he's average American person. Yeah. He's just somebody who... A man from the Midwest. Who yeah, he in could, Omaha. yeah, he could be somebody's dad. That's basically yeah. It, that's what I, that's what I wrote down in my notes. Is very grandpa-ish. Dear Indugu, you'll be glad to know that Jeannie's wedding came off without a hitch. Right now, she and Randall are on their way to sunny Orlando, on my nickel, of course. As for me, I'm headed back to Omaha. I'm driving straight through this time, and I've made only one stop. The impressive new arch over the interstate in Kearney, Nebraska. An arch that commemorates the courage and 
determination of the pioneers who crossed the state on their way west. I took an Indian bride myself. You really got to see it to believe it. And it kind of got me thinking. Looking at all that history and reflecting on the achievements of people long ago kind of put things into perspective. My trip to Denver, for instance, is so insignificant compared to the journeys that others have taken, the bravery that they've shown, the hardships they've endured. I know we're all pretty small in the big scheme of things, and I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? Yeah, a little grandpa-ish. Um, very, you know, in a way conservative too. Like there's a moment where he's in his car and you can hear Rush Limbaugh in the ah, background. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in a way that should make me resent him, but it doesn't. Uh, well, no, I mean, it's it's not about his politics. It's about the character that he's playing. It is, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and this movie, yeah, he... he is a character who's lived his whole life. The very opening of the film, he's getting his retirement. And, you know, he's kind of being told by this friend of his, uh, you know, what really means something is to have, like, actual connections with people and, you know, to live outside of money. And it's funny because there's this whole long shot that's just panning in on his face as he's just sitting there listening to this guy, like, talk about all the things in one's life that they need. And as soon as the speech is over, he immediately goes to the bar yeah. and gets a drink. And that's the, that's the great thing I noticed about Nicholson's performance in this. And, and you know, in a lot of other things he's done. I mean, there's a, there's a disconnect often between what he's thinking and what he's saying and doing and between what is under what he's thinking. A lot of the interior work that's, that he's doing yeah. as an actor. And, and you don't necessarily know what's going on inside but you have this but there he, he, there are very simple ways in which he shows that it's what he's thinking is far different than what he's than what he's showing yes exactly i mean that that very simple scene that's you know that's just a, a good bit of of movie stagecraft where it's like he listens to this speech about how your family your connections and about your accomplishments are what's great mm. it, uh, and then uh, he he gratefully thanks the man, shakes his hand, sits down next to his wife, and then says, I'll be back, and goes to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't seem sad. He doesn't seem angry. He but... just seems a little resigned. Yeah. If that's the term to use. Because I feel like he's resigned to the position that, well, my life is kind of over now, I guess. Right. Um, or, you know, what am I going to do with my life? So in a way, if I have pieces in this character, I should mention to you, um, on the DVD, this is kind of a fun thing, because the director of this movie, Alexander Payne, um, he's, like, a big fan of, you know, 70s movies, and, like, he did this movie with Jack Nicholson, and then the last movie he did was this thing called Nebraska, which right, had Bruce Dern. Uh, you know, and Dern and Nicholson, they're also, I think, close friends and part of that whole new Hollywood group. Um, there is a scene, they shot a scene for... It, that is deleted. It's on, but it's on the DVD where they kind of recreate the diner scene from five easy pieces. <laughs> um, 
it's just this little mo- but the, the great thing is in this lead scene they show warren schmidt he's at like this diner and this waitress comes up and he gives the order about you know i'd like a plain omelet with uh whatever it is like something else instead a cup of coffee and wheat toast and they it just says no substitutions and they come back to I Schmidt. am not dealing with no. this again. No, 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 no. He just like says, "Oh, well, I'll take, uh, I'll just have the tomatoes or, or the the toast instead," and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great contrast. Yeah, I should show you the full scene. Like it's basically like he 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 almost he puts up the initial order. The waitress says no substitutions, and then he just is. <laughs> it's like all right whatever is this a common thing in the midwest like diners and restaurants that don't allow substitutions i don't, don't know do yeah I, because i feel like the, the diners who listen to this this is something that's bothered me ever since i've seen five easy pieces because here out in new jersey well by the way i should coast, mention five easy pieces of the west coast okay fair enough uh people in other parts of the country just do me a favor i mean here on the east coast we got pretty easygoing restaurants and diners. Yeah. New Jersey is like the diner capital of the world. And if you go and order an omelet, you could say, like, it's like a ham and cheese omelet. You could say, okay, I'll have a ham and cheese omelet. Instead of ham, could I have bacon and then get some sausage in that? And also, could I get rye toast? People are like, yeah, sure. Maybe ahead. it was a timing maybe thing, it too. Was, maybe it was the era. I don't know if, like, the 70s was the time of really anal diner owners. But, yeah. it, but you know, this baffled me because... In any restaurant nowadays that I've been to, it's like, hey, would you like something a little different? That's perfectly fine. Here, do this. And and the stubbornness of that waitress in Five Easy yeah. Pieces is something that I've never encountered Well, in my Well, you life. could say that on a subtextual level, like, the waitress is, like, on a representing just authority in general, too. I suppose so. I mean... Yeah, I, it is just a movie. Yeah, I, I know. We're, we're probably all the all the movies you talk about are just movies. I mean, but but it's just, if we're it's, if we're engaging with. But it. this is just a detail of the movie that seems very out of place. Yeah. But I don't know if it's the era, if it's just a work of scripting, or yeah. if it's just something that's regional. Just let me know if you this you've ever come across this. Yeah. Just saying. All right. Oh, um, what speak- was I about to say? Um, I, I don't remember. <laughs> they recreated the diner scene. Yeah, well, it, it, okay. I think that's kind of cool, Nicholson. That I, I don't know if Payne asked that. Like, hey, can I? Can we just really do this? I just really love this scene. Yeah. He's like, all right, fine. All right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but in a way, it fits. Like, I'm glad it's not in the movie. Yeah, but it's kind of cool. That they shot it. It would have been a little. It would have been distracting. It would have been a little too self indulgent. It would have been actually too meta. Self indulgence is okay, but it would have been uh, it, it would have distracted a little. Yeah, well, you know, but this movie, um, also, so in this movie, you have a character who, you know, is retired and doesn't have much going on, but then he suddenly just finds out about like starving children in Africa, and, and then he writes that letter. Well, which begins with dear. Ndulu. <laughs> and I just love that, like, the way he says that. And it that. starts out very dully, and then it's like... And then he starts talking about the guy who, retur- who replaced him. It's like, God damn it, if it wasn't for this kid, he's alright. Oh, he's got a little thumb. And I loved that, because... Little cocky bastard. It was the first moment in which he actually... In, in which, you know, Warren Schmidt actually reveals his emotions and... 
not just his bitterness, but you know, his mental state. Yeah, well, it's, it's like he's been very, he's been very reserved. He's been pretty deadpan throughout, uh, even when he's been smiling. And then finally, he writes his letter, and he somehow comes across this one sticking point. Yeah, and but when he sticks to that point, it's like ripping off the scab. And everything comes out. Yeah, and then he talks about his wife, and then his kids, and well, his kid, his daughter, and the the, the man he, that and she's her marrying, fiance. and how she has like he has like no respect for his fiance, and kind of a good reason because he's kind of like a doofus. He is a doofus. Uh, I th- I think. I mean, he is, he's not like a bad he person. Is, he is a good doofus though. He he's somebody <laughs> who, I think that, um. Like, well, what happens is, basically, in the movie, then his wife just kind of drops dead, and that creates a lot of conflict for him, uh, just internally, and what he's going to do with himself. Right. Uh, but, you know, and, and then also the kind of driving spine of the movie is his daughter's going to get married, and he has to go out to see her. Um, but the... What, what, what kind of... I've seen the movie many times, and what I find striking about how the story unfolds in that, especially in that first act. And when that moment happens where he just comes home and his wife is dead on the floor, it's because the things that he's complaining about his wife in the moment, it, it seems like things that you, you could be really, you know, you could pick at your wife or something for something like that. But then, but then as soon as she's gone, it's like, Oh, those things were so petty. Yeah. You know, and I also, as, some, as a married person, it's like, I, I recognize that those are just, sometimes you just find little quirks and things that just like, yeah. 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 I'm you not live, saying Corey has that. When, but, you uh, <laughs> live, when you live with people as intimately and as, as intimately as you do and for a long time, you get on each other's nerves. Well, the, well there's the great line where he's, he's saying in the letter... You know, Helen and I have been married 42 years. Lately, every night, I find myself asking the same question. Who is this old woman who lives in my house? <laughs> As but if the she, thing, like, came with the house. Yeah, <laughs> and he does list off these little things that annoy her. But a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. It's not, and it's it, it makes him a very universal, you know, like a character that, uh... It's funny, when I, um... <clears throat> I think Nicholson said in some interview that part of the reason he wanted to make this movie or do this performance, he thought of it almost as like a Buster Keaton character, <laughs> but I think without a lot of the slapstick, right. uh, I mean, there are a couple of slapsticky moments in the film. Uh, um, there's like a scene in the second half of the movie where he's on a waterbed and, uh, he, the way he's trying to adjust to being on a waterbed is like, it's like, who would ever want to sleep on a waterbed? <laughs> Doesn't seem like a very comfortable thing to do. Um, I, I'd be willing to give it a shot. Maybe. But he he brings so much humanity to this character that I feel like among the acting that he's done like the last 20, 25 years, since Batman, uh, this might be his best. Um, again, it kind of digs back into that 70s kind of character, but it's somebody who's sadder. And you know because he's lived even more of a life... There's more to draw upon, and, and it draws on the age of Nicholson himself. Yeah, and you said that when he did Five Easy Pieces, he was at the right age to do that. He's the now right age to do at, this. Yeah, he's at he's at the right age to do about Schmidt, and you know, you couldn't get an actor of a different age to do that. 
No, obviously not. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he just shows, a, and he shows a lot of range in this too. He gets angry at points, um, but it's not the anger of somebody who is possibly hamming it up. Again, like I mentioned Witches of Eastwick. There are scenes in that movie where you just kind of want to like back up a little bit, yeah. even when you're like you're sitting watching at home. It, it's in fact the opposite. It's of, of a man who's very restrained. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love that. And when emotions do come through, they're not—they're great because they're unusual. Yeah, and they're great because they come from a, a real genuine place. Yes. Um. So that's that's something I just cherish Nicholson as an as an actor for. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about too recently before doing this podcast, uh, oddly enough, with the timing of it, um, the this video critic, the the nerd writer did this uh, video about Nicholson this past week. And it was, it was called Nicholson and the Art of Rage. <laughs> and it was looking at how he performs uh, and will adjust to find, like, the right uh, physical presence sometimes as an actor. So, like, in, fi in, like, uh, in like, A Few Good Men, when he's on, like, the, the stand at the, you know, in the climax of the movie, he barely moves at all. Yeah. He's kind of just there, like being pissed off and if he moves just a little bit like when he finally leans forward you know and does that you're goddamn right i did yeah you know that's like oh my god that means a lot um a, a few a, a few yeah whereas a like a few good men um, would have been a really interesting one because it's where he's he's in this well batman was a supporting role but i mean it's 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 a very different sort of role where he's in it so little but he steals that. But he steals that movie. Yeah, and he he's does. He's absolutely reprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I even when Jack Nicholson's been at his most evil, like in The Shining or in or in The Departed, it's been a very distinct flavor of evil. But and you know, I, I still think of that speech he did. I don't even think about the courtroom scene in. in uh, There's a different. Well, I know he has I, other scenes in the movie. The one I think about most is when he's first being talked to by Tom Cruise and his uh, and his crew. Yeah. Where and and he and he just says that thing about. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about. All it right, either, all right. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. They're I do. Out, like on that patio, and they're yeah. sitting down and like having. And he kind of take get makes. He, he makes Tom Cruise feel very uncomfortable. Uh, he makes everybody feel uncomfortable. He yeah. Makes, it's it, it's incredible. And it's funny, though, when, when you watch that, though, and think about there are probably military men who act exactly like this. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you wouldn't like him if you, found, if you, saw, if you met him. Yeah. Um, Aaron Sorkin's script, too. Yeah. Um, Rob Reiner. Yeah. Um, so if you uh, guys have seen these five Nicholson movies or any of the other films we've kind of touched upon here, there it's it's like you can't help but bring up other movies he's done because again he has just like the most remarkable career of like a major actor. You know because again like for me the key thing is you could look at a lot you could look at a, a lot of number of actors from the time when Nicholson started in the sixties and seventies up until now. You know, sometimes the actors will still do work, but they might not challenge themselves in the same way. So you might get somebody like De Niro, who, you know, the guy who's in Godfather 2 and Taxi Driver, now he's in... Righteous Kill? No, not even that. Dirty Grandpa? 
Oh my god, did you see the trailer for Dirty Grandpa? No, never mind. Oh, and then our Al Pacino, who, um, well, he he just Al shows Pacino. up and yeah, he's Pacino. Um, or uh, I don't know, there there are probably other actors I could bring up. Um, but he is somebody who. Uh, he he can be a, ma- a real star and have that great quality in films. You know what the difference? But between... he can also be a character actor too. He has a little bit of that quality. You know what the difference between Robert De Niro and Jack Nicholson is? What? Batman money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. One guy has to work to fund his restaurants in the Tribeca Film Festival. One does not. There we go. One basically gets to... Oh, God. Did you ever see the picture of Nicholson with the hoagie? No. I'll have to show this to you. Oh, my God. Oh. There's a picture where Nicholson, he's about 70 years old, and he's just hanging out on, like, a floating tube in, like, the ocean or a lake or something, and he has a giant hoagie. Just looking like he doesn't give a fuck, and he's just, oh, he's so, it's, it's visual representation of Jack Nicholson's life. It's the best image ever. It's just so like, I am Jack Nicholson, and you're not. (laughs) And with that, um, if you have heard of these movies. Wait a minute, is Jack Nicholson supposed to be in a movie soon? Yes, I should mention that too. Um, He's returning out of what was thought, he thought, people thought he was retired, I was always clinging to the hope that he wouldn't be retired. I was wondering if my hopes would be wrong. Because sometimes, I mean, you get actors who just decide, I'll just quietly go away. In part, because sometimes the work... Like Gene Hackman. Pretty, Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, yeah. who's another one. And, you know, sometimes it could be for good reason. Maybe you don't want to keep doing things like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or... Maybe you uh, don't want to answer any more questions about Zardoz. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't want to be asked uh, if you're going to return as Lex Luthor. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, he's returning in a remake of this German film that I actually got to see called Tony Erdman. Um, where I'm hoping that this movie turns out well. This is supposed to be kind of like a comedy, kind of comedy drama where he's, the character in the German film is this ma- old man who's a, um, kind of bumbling around, not doing much of his life, and he's just noticing his daughter is very unhappy with herself, and she's like this corporate woman. So he decides to kind of just follow her around as she's on like this corporate event, and he has like this black wig and these fake teeth, and he'll just kind of show up unannounced, like when she'll be at a bar with friends, and he'll just be kind of at the bar and turn around and act like he's this guy named Tony Erdman. And, you know, all the other people just be kind of fascinated by this guy, and the daughter will just be like, What are you doing? Yeah, here? pretty much. And I'm really hoping that if they get a good director and writer, uh, this could be a... I, I don't necessarily say comeback movie, because he's 80 years old. You don't need a comeback at this age. Curtain call. Yeah, well, yeah, curtain call could be a good word for it. I mean, it's... Uh, to borrow a term from the theater. Which yeah, if... Yeah, it's 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 kind of like when um, even though he over he did one more movie as an actor and I wish he hadn't, but like when Clint Eastwood did Grant did Gran Torino, yeah, that felt like all right. This isn't a great movie, but this is a great curtain call movie. Right. This is a good note for Clint Eastwood to end things on, and I'm hoping that will be 
something for Nicholson here because I always am squinty and gravelly. I'm always I always want a, a filmmaker or an actor to close out on something that's good. I don't want them to end on something that's bad. And Nicholson's movie before this wasn't very good. So, um, yeah. Anger Management 3. No, no, he wasn't that. It was something called How Do I Know? Or, uh, um, so if you've seen any of the Nicholson movies I've talked about, and I hope you have, um, I just leaned in the mic for no Stop reason. Stop yelling at us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can send an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Wages of Cinema Podcast or at Wages of Cinema. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, make sure to uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It really will help us out in our presence and um, other things. And we just like to hear from you people as we, we read a couple of comments in our uh, opening segment and uh we'll try to do more when we can so uh join us next time we're going to talk about more movies and things that flicker and 24 fps and sounds and colors and special effects i don't know how else to close this out why don't you take us out andrew guys we're going to talk about movies and we hope that you'll join us as you always do like good friends so until next bat time and next bat channel, I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And remember, the wages of cinema is. Death! Okay, <laughs> I was holding that note for a while. When I come up against a director who has a concept that I. Maybe I don't agree with it, maybe I just hadn't thought of it or whatever, I'd be more prone to go with them than my own because I want to be out of control as an actor. I want them to have the control. Otherwise, it's going to become predictably my work. And that's not fun.